Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. I know you could be using your time to listen to anyone else's podcast, but right now you're choosing to listen to ours, and we greatly appreciate it. On this very special Black Father's Day, we sit down with not only a great father, but a friend, a mentor, and overall inspiration to our community and culture. I had the opportunity to sit down with Ahmed Hazel, and we talked about how to own nothing but control everything. I believe that this is a foundational message for not only black fathers, but really anybody who's in the investment world, anybody who is an entrepreneur or an investor and wants to have uh, one of the keys to success. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode and learn how to own nothing but control everything with Ahmed Hazel. I'm DJ Motri of Black Equity Network, and welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. All right, uh, we are back for another great episode of Black Equity. I am excited about this conversation. Uh, I just read a book within the last week or so that to me has changed my life, I'm just being completely honest. Uh, on the program today, we have Ahmed Hazel. He is the co-founder of Premier Capital Investments, Premier Fund Management Group, Legacy Builders Management, and the author of the book I just finished, Profiting from Non-Performing Mortgage Notes. Did I get all that correct? Yes, sir. Welcome to Black Equity. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, definitely. Uh, the pleasure is all ours. We are excited about this conversation. For those who don't know uh, who you are, Ahmed, tell us a little bit about yourself and the companies that you service. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Yeah, you know, I'm a guy, I just, um, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, went to Baltimore City Public Schools, um, had an idea of uh, being a physician at one time. Um, you know, went to Morgan State University um, for biology to try to transfer over into the medical field. Um, I was also a um, firefighter in Maryland for a number of years, uh, for almost a decade. Um, family man, definitely. Uh, father of uh, five young men, um, one passed on. But, um, you know, I love being a husband and a father. And, um, you know, outside of that, I tend to work a lot. Um, the companies uh, that I founded, um, my wife and I founded these companies together. And our intention was really to um, do our best work in helping people um, with their finances and getting returns on investments and things like that. Okay. So I came across your book about a month ago. Uh, I, I actually caught an interview that you were on. It was a great interview. And I said, well, hold on now. This sounds very similar to a background that I had about 10 years ago working uh, in the home preservation department of a mortgage department of a, of a top five bank here in the United States. I said, wait, this is the exact thing I was doing, but on the servicing side. And I was always wondering when I was sitting in this cubicle and I had a portfolio of like 200 different homeowners. I'm working with them on a daily basis and the salary was pretty low. Uh, I always said there has to be another side to this. And so for me, this was an aha moment to bump into your interview and then of course read your book. 
if you could describe uh, the book says uh, profiting from non-performing mortgage notes, if you could describe what is a non-performing mortgage note. Awesome. So first, let me tell you what a note is. Okay. So whenever someone signs really for any type of loan, but let's just say we're talking about real estate, a residential real estate property. The person signs mainly, you sign a lot of documents, but initially you're signing two main documents. One is what they call the promissory note, which is your promise to pay back the debt. And we, we shorten it by just calling it a note. But then you also sign the mortgage. And the mortgage acts as the enforcement tool to say, well, if you don't pay the note back, then these are going to be your penalties, your late fees, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, essentially the note is the document that promises to pay back a mortgage. And a non-performing note means that this homeowner, for some reason or another, has fallen on hard times or what have you, and is not paying on the note. So the bank or the industry calls it non-performing. Okay. So make sure I'm understanding this correctly, because I think this is very important, because I know where this conversation may head. So I want to make sure I get this right foundationally. Are, so is the mortgage and the note separate? Yes. Okay. Okay. Now we're, we're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere with this. Okay. <laughs> So the mortgage and the note is separate. Which one, in your opinion, is the most important to uh, have ownership of? The note. Okay. But okay. They, they, they're separate, but they're, they're kind of married too. Okay. Tell, tell me more about that. How are they married? Because the mortgage is directing its comments back to the original note. So the mortgage is saying, yeah, we are the sword that deals with this particular note. So the note comes before the mortgage. Yes. But then the mortgage is uh, the directions uh, for the, the public. If I'm saying it correct, and please correct me if I'm wrong. The mortgage is the directions to the public of of where this money should go or where this uh, property uh, is being held? Am I somewhere yeah. on the right track? Yeah, so the mortgage is saying this is where um, this, this amount of money has been lent uh, to or for this particular property to this particular individual that has promised over here to pay for it with this document. Mm. Okay. Now there's, you've, you've added a third element into this conversation. <laughs> now you've brought the property in. So we have, let me make sure I'm breaking this thing down. We have a note that comes first. Then there is a mortgage, but this is all directly tied to some sort of uh, asset, some type of property. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, but I would, I would redefine how you broke it down and I would say it like this. 
So in our industry, we talk about the three P's. We say we have the paper, which is the note, the mortgage, all of that, all of those okay. documents. Okay. That file is the paper. Okay. Then we have the person, the individual that signed for the loan. And then we have the property. So we deal with those three P's. Okay. Now, for those who are listening to this, the reason why I'm making sure that we define this is because I've been paying attention to this real estate investing world for quite some time. Okay. And I've never come across anyone who is about to share with us and is sharing with us this side of quote unquote, the game. Most people are talking about the property. And in order to get the property, they talk about how much are they paying on their monthly mortgage and you know how much they can rent it out or how much they can flip it. So I hear about mortgages and I hear about properties. No one ever talks about the note. My question is, and you may have the answer, you may not, why am I never hearing about the note? Mm, very good. So um, can I wanna give you just uh, my philosophical take on what you just asked. Okay. So if I have a property, I have to pay property tax. I have to pay for plumbing. I have to pay for the closing attorney. I have to pay for so many things around the property. That keeps a lot of people in business. But when we're talking about investing in notes, there's no, there's no taxes on notes. Because it's, it's, so when I say that, I'm not addressing this from a tax perspective. I said, this is my philosophical answer. Okay. Understood. Understood. So, um, cause I'm, I'm not a CPA, I'm not a tax expert or, anything like that. But this is my phys philosophical approach that a note is considered personal property. Hmm. So it is not taxed in and of itself. Understood. So when you are purchasing a note or you a, are a note owner, essentially you're being viewed as a bank. Okay, now you, now, now you better get I mean, deep up in here. Bro, you want me to get, you want me to tell you the real story or play games? I'm no, just... we about to get into this. Wait, okay. Hold up, hold up. Because this is about, this is, I know this is going to be a groundbreaking episode here. So, paper, person, property. Before I go into, because now you brought in seeing yourself as a bank. Before I bring that concept in, and I am going to bring that up, why, okay, you mentioned about the property, there's so many different hands in the property. And so because there's so many different hands, that reality has to keep circulating out there through conversations in order for everybody to get paid through, that's how the economy works. Yes. Works is through, you know, what comes out of me is your income. Right. Um, income. 
And so you got these 10 different people, there are 20 different hands in these different pots. And so everybody's going to focus on property and mortgage, property and mortgage, because that's where uh, all the hands are. But technically, well, not technically, but what I'm hearing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the note typically is only in one pair of hands. Yes. Okay. And with the note being in one pair of hands, that then gives you control over everything. Control without ownership. Why is why did you make that distinct uh, distinction? Because ownership now makes me responsible for so many things. So now I'm responsible for the property taxes. Now I'm responsible for the upkeep. If the hot water heater goes up in the middle of the night when I own the property, I'm responsible for that. If the water main breaks, I'm responsible for that. But when you are the note owner, you have control without ownership. The famous quote that circulates across all business uh, circles is own nothing and control everything. But when you, you know, you go on Instagram, social media, when you, when you actually look at what everybody's talking about, everybody's talking about uh, ownership. Right. But if the quote says control, uh, own nothing, control everything, why are people playing the game backwards? Yeah, because it's a, it's a, um, so I've always just been this guy and um, I, you know, I got this concept from my dad, you know, Clifford okay. Hazel. Uh, uh, he passed on, but I got this concept from him. And he always taught me that there is common knowledge and then there is secret knowledge. And he told me always look for the secret knowledge. So you got a lot of common knowledge that people are just like, yeah, you know, this is what it is and this is how it works. And this is, you know, this is what we're going to do. But then you have secret knowledge that other people know that they use to control everything and own nothing. Okay. So once again, thank you for listening to this episode of black equity podcast. Before we continue the episode, I just want to make sure that we invite you to the empire builder summit on June 30th, where we'll be discussing how to build an empire, the blueprint to generational wealth. We're going to have the link in the show notes, and we want to make sure that everybody who is a listener of the Black Equity Podcast, that you get access to the early bird tickets. The reason why you want to be at this summit is you're going to learn how to build an empire from all different angles, learning about estate planning, learning about the key players that you want on the team, learning about business fundamentals. And we're going to have a lot of the guests that you've been listening to from this podcast are going to be speaking at this event, as well as others that you're going to be introduced to in the real estate and the business world. So click the link in the show notes and head over there right now to be part of this event. Now, back to the show. What we have stumbled, stumbled across here, at least through Black Equity, we now have a new opportunity for investors. Now, all this time, you've been focused on uh, property, and of course, you've been the person 
and I guess a little bit of, of paper on the mortgage side. But now there's a new opportunity here, but it's not really new. It's always been there. Been there. But you just didn't know about it. So, okay. You've now introduced us to a new concept to us. And so we thank you for that. My pleasure. With that new concept, you're saying, well, hey, now that you know this, you can actually operate like a bank. What do you mean by that concept? Yeah, and, and I first want to say it does not mean that you are a licensed bank by the Federal Reserve in any such a way. Understood. I'm only saying that to say that um, the bank is making the majority of its uh, money from debt and mortgage investments and loaning money out for right. whatever they're loaning money out for. But for whatever they're loaning money out for, they always have a promissory note attached to that loan. Now, my specialty, and I'm going to answer your question, but I want to make the distinction that my specialty is on what, what we call in our industry mortgage-backed securities. Okay. So mine, my specialty is on controlling the note around some type of real estate. But there are notes on everything. I mean, you can buy notes on cars. You could buy it on airplanes, submarines, you know, et cetera. So there are notes that people specialize in in just about everything. But mine is just, my specialty is just mortgages. So when a person is actively, or let me just say, when a person is buying notes, that person now is receiving the income from that, those notes, just like the bank would receive the income from those notes. Okay. I'm going to dive into that coming up, but you kind of shown me something and I want to make sure that we, uh, kind of drill down and examine this. You mentioned that your specialty is in the mortgage-backed securities and uh, tied to real estate. Did Before getting into the world of notes, were you already dealing with real estate? Why did you choose this type of note to focus on? Yeah, I was a real estate guy. I was, you know, um, going into homes. Um, I was taking pictures. I was, you know, touching two by fours. I was, you know, walking around the house, talking to the the the, the homeowner, trying to buy the house. And uh, at that time, uh, we were doing something called wholesaling, which was we would buy the or set up the contract or the agreement with the homeowner. And then later, before we get to closing, we would sell that contract to another investor. So um, that was my thing. I was in real estate, which was a good thing for me because it gave me an idea, two important ideas. One is I learned about the people that are in these homes, that there are people that are having hardships and struggles and they're legitimate a lot of times. And then I also learned too about really how to evaluate the property and what's a good investment and what's not a good investment 
from the real estate standpoint. So yeah, I was a real estate guy first. Okay. So because you already had that, that, that background in real estate, it took you down this path. You were introduced to uh, understanding about notes. Why would I focus on, and this may be a, a crazy question, why would I focus on non-performing notes? Why would I not focus on something that is already doing wonderful? Yeah, that, that's, that's great because, um, you know, it's a great question. For me, what I realized was that all notes that are non-performing were once performing. So with a non-performing note, I had two things that I like to have way in my favor. One is that I know the worst has already happened to this investment. And two, I know that this is something that I have learned and began to understand how to fix it. And most of the time, and it, it could, I could be uh, overstating this, but uh, most of the time uh, for myself, it's just, it's become easy to fix. Okay. Okay. So non I really like what you said there. The worst has already happened with this particular, I'm, I'm looking at it as an investment, but uh, the worst has already happened. There's an opportunity for me to improve on it. And by improving on this investment, I could see a significant return. Am I understanding that correctly? So you, you are. And the reason that it is a significant return is this. When a person is purchasing a performing loan, this is a loan where the person, let's say they have a, you know, 700 credit score. Uh, they've made all of their payments on time. Uh, the, the, the family or individual has a steady income that's solid. You know, the bank sees that as, you know, A plus paper on their side. So if they are going to liquidate that or sell that, they want 90, 95 cents on a dollar. Sometimes I've seen them as for as high as 120 cents on a dollar for that investment. Whereas a non-performing note that, um, has hasn't performed in two years the bank is saying you know we have this eyesore on our books we can't collect on it for whatever reason we need to get rid of it so that we continue to look good so they sell it cheaply understood what made you what made you sit down and put the pen to paper and write this book when so many people don't know about this, you could have kept it to yourself. You know what I mean? This is, to me, it's a game changer. What made you sit down and write this book and give it to our culture? Initially, um, I felt that way. I was like, yes, like <laughs> what, I, <laughs> what I got, like we're making money. I don't care. You know, and, and, you know, for a while, understand my, my growth process that I was laughing at other people, you know, 
I was saying, look, I would, you know, sometimes talk to my friends that are in real estate. And I would say, you know, how much did you pay for that, that, that investment property? You know, oh, you know, uh, you know, I paid 200,000 for it. You know, we're going to fix it up and sell it for 300,000. And I'm like, bro, that's crazy. Why would you put out 200 grand for that? And, you know, I bought the one next door and I only paid 50 grand for the note. Like, mm. you know, so I would be out in my head, I would be laughing and kind of snickering. And, you know, after a while of just, you know, you start making money and it's like, okay, you know, all right, we're good. And I started feeling an emptiness that I really wanted to help people. Mm. And I hope that doesn't really sound corny, but not to me. It's like I really started feeling that. Like, okay, so how much can I really win when it's just me winning? Like, I want to bring other people into this and share this opportunity because I can't buy all of this debt myself. I want to be able to share this with the world and have this as my contribution back to our economy, to our um, improvement. You know, so I wanted to write it in very simple English, as as plain as I can get it, without any, without a lot of legal terminology and things like that. And that was really hard for me to sit down and just put pen to pad and write this out so that it's easy to understand and not, you know, a legal uh, discourse on mortgage-backed securities and non-performing mortgage notes. Just from my personal experience, as I was reading this book, so many light bulbs went off because I knew, and I, I don't say this to try to take any shots at what other people are doing, but I knew a lot of what other people were doing in real estate. It just never made sense to me because I sat at that desk for four or five years. I knew that you existed. Hmm. Now, I don't, I don't know what year you, I know it's in the book, but I don't remember what year you, you began this. How long ago did you? Um, I started this uh, late 2005. Okay. So, yeah. So, on the other side of this world, you existed. When I was sitting at the desk working for this bank and servicing the loan, I knew, I didn't know, no, I didn't truly know, but I knew something what something wasn't adding up. I mean, there was just so much opportunity sitting in front of me and I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't figure out well, how do I become the opposite side of this? And then I, I started hearing, Oh, they're just going to sell those off to who I had. Like, where's it going? <laughs> but then I'm like, well, I don't have, you know, I don't have the funds. So, you know, what do I do? So you, you, you walk away with your head held down, you know, down. And, but now you're telling me, especially with all the stuff that's going on now, there may be some, you know, some changes to the economy. You're telling me, no, my brother, you have an opportunity to be on that side that you always wanted to be on, to be on that right side of the table. Absolutely. Now, let me tell you something. Let me, is it okay if I give up a secret? Sure. Go ahead. All right. So when I started, Okay, understand that I was in wholesaling real estate. So a lot of times when we 
like when we when we hear an interview um, like yours, uh, people sometimes will um, they may not really get the full gem of what's really being said. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was wholesaling real estate, I said that I would work out the contract with the homeowner. And then I would later sell it before we got to closing to another investor. Okay. And when I was, you know, with notes, I thought to myself, what if I did that with notes? Mm. Come on, bro. I'm trying to get you to the gem here. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me make sure I'm 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 um making sense of what you're saying. So the same concept of wholesaling, instead of uh you have you have the, the contract uh the uh what's the assignment, the assignment contract yep. in wholesaling. I, I know a little bit, I know a little bit. And so instead of you're saying instead of selling that property off to the end buyer, you would sell the contract to another investor. When I was doing real estate, yes. And so you're taking that same concept with notes. Yes. And so you're saying, well, we could be the, those investors. Yes. We being the people from our culture, the people who are listening to this episode, because you have access to these notes, because you've, you've put yourself in the middle of the flow of these notes that are out here, you could be a source for other investors to get into the game. Absolutely. Okay, hold on, hold on. Now. <laughs> okay, because what what people may not realize with this episode, they may have to go back, they may have to read the book and then come back, they may have to come back, read the book at the exact same time. But the reason why it's hitting me so so hard is because I was in the middle of this thing, mm-hmm. and I know exactly the power of what we are talking about here. You mentioned earlier an example. You mentioned someone had bought a $200,000 a home and they were going to sell it for $300,000. And then you said, well, I got it for fifty k." Break down that scenario for me. Just let's, let's say those are the numbers. Mm-hmm. And you did get that uh, mortgage note for, or that, I'm sorry, that note, um, performing note for fifty k Let's say you did get that for fifty k How do I profit off of that? If, if I'm that, that investor who got it for 50K, the house uh, is currently on the market somewhere at 200,000, uh, but it could be sold for 300,000. How does that help me? Okay, so first of all, you said um, mortgage note, and that is a term that we use in the industry, um, but it's okay, it's but it's not. It's not 100% correct because okay. they are two different things, but yes. that, is, that is language that we use in the industry. So I just wanted you, know, you to know that, that you were not wrong on that. Okay. Um, but if, a, if, if I bought the house, if I bought the mortgage to the home next door mm-hmm. at 50K, and let's say, let me just create a scenario Let's say I went to Miss Jones and I said, Miss Jones, uh, you know, we're your new note holders and um, uh, we notice you haven't paid in two years. 
Ms. Jones says, well, I moved out about two months ago. So the property is vacant. I say, Ms. Jones, if you would sign the deed back over to us, we would be willing to just release you from the loan with no penalties to your credit, no deficiency judgment that's, that could possibly hit your income or anything. We would just be willing to release you from this debt and obligation and it, it wouldn't show anywhere else for you any longer. It would be a, a weight off of your back. Ms. Jones says, where do I sign? Ms. Jones, don't worry. I'm going to send you the information and have you uh, sign this over to us and then um, we'll be out of your hair. Ms. Jones signs that uh, property over to us because remember, we own the note, but we did not own the property. Right. Once she signs it over to us, now we own the property. Now, if the property next door sold for 200, maybe I could sell this one for 200. So now you have the note and the deed and you've now got all the control and all the leverage you can possibly need. And you have obtained this with an investment uh, in this scenario, an investment of $50,000. Yes. Okay. But the property is, you know, with the scenario that we have, the, the property could go for 300,000, but you may just sell it to one of those other real estate investors who may want to buy it at 200,000. Absolutely. So let them continue playing their game. Let them continue doing the, you know, the, what everybody is saying is balling <laughs> and going out and get the, the $200,000 property and flip it for 300000 Oh, that's the game you're playing? Cool. Well, you know, here's the note. Well, I have the note. I'm going to sell this to you for 200000 Now I've made a profit of 150000 And they, that may have been within 30 days. Right. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it could be it could be a week. <clears throat> mm. Okay. Okay. Why do you think, and I, you've touched on it a little bit earlier, but I'm going to drill down a little bit more. Okay. Why do you think that's a better option than doing the, uh, the 200000 and flipping it for 300000 uh, I'm still, maybe I'm still getting a, uh, a, a profit of let's just say eighty thousand. I'm still getting a profit of eighty thousand. You know, you made a hundred and hundred and fifty. I'm making eighty thousand. I know it's not. You know, it's a big difference, but I'm still making money. Why do you think your way is quote unquote better? Yeah, you know, um, one of the things that um, was important to me was that I be a husband and a father first. And the one thing that I did not want to be tied up in is tied up in real estate deals all the time. I did not want to be managing contractors. I, I didn't want to have to go to properties and constantly look at properties. I wanted to be, you know, sitting, you know, at home, um, you know, with my kids, you know, playing football, you know, uh, barbecuing on the grill. I wanted to be that kind of a man. And um, so for me, the thing that we're all limited by is we're all limited by time. And those deals tie up a lot of time where I didn't want to be tied up all the time. 
I wanted to be able to really enjoy life. A quality of life is what I wanted to have. And I wanted my kids to know me like, uh, so I have two sons in college right now. And from the time that they started school until the time that they finished school, I took all three of my sons that live with me uh, to school and picked them up every single day. Mm. And I just wanted that for my life um, where I could prep them before we went to school and then help them decompress after school and be at all of their sporting events to cheer them on. I just wanted that for my life. And I did not want to be stuck managing a real estate project. I could literally sit back and manage these investments uh, from my cell phone or laptop and act and behave just like a banker would. Okay. Now, now we, we, we've uncovered to me, I mean, you said you asked earlier about, you know, revealing a secret. This whole episode is a secret. This yeah. whole, this whole, because now you got your life back. Now those precious moments, you're able to be there. For those who don't know, who have not gotten into the real estate game, you may spend months on a real estate deal and you may have to deal with this and do, deal with that and be running back and forth, always going places. And that's just one deal. You may have five or six deals on the table. So you're ripping across one side of your, your city and then going to the other side of your city or going over here and going over there. And you have a lot going on to the point where you look up and your, your life is gone because yeah. you're so busy being an investor that you're not a person. And what I'm hearing you say is, well, the, the way I'm maneuvering, the way I've positioned myself, I have my life back where I, you know, I'm, I'm managing this, this asset that I've obtained, but it's not a lot of uh, headaches right. per se. Am I hearing that correctly? Correct. It's, it's not a lot of, <clears throat> it's not a lot of, you know, I don't rip and run anywhere. So in the um, probably 3,000 plus deals that I've done, um, I'm gonna be liberal okay. and say that I've seen in person less than five. Mm. I wanna say it's two, but it's less than five. Okay. You Actual may, properties. You may not be able to answer that this, and I completely understand. What about investing in non-performing notes frees up so much time? I can just look at the numbers on the paper and see it. it over time, it becomes like, um, like you're in the, the movie The Matrix. Like you can start to see through the, the numbers on the paper and say, oh, this is a deal right here. This is a this is an exceptional deal that I can make money off of. And by the way, I know my friend Johnny over here is buying deals in this particular state because, I mean, eventually you wind up building a large network of buyers. Johnny is buying these types of deals in Ohio. I can easily go and call Johnny and say, hey, I got a deal that I think you might like. I'm going to email it to you. And I email it to Johnny. And then he says, yes. And I say, send me the wire. And the deal is over with in, in less than an hour. Mm. 
Wow. So you, you mentioned that that could sometimes be a week. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing that sometimes it could be less than a week. Yeah. I'm just trying to, you know, I know. I feel, I, I'm just, could, could I, because I've been on that side of the world, I can sense that as soon as a deal comes in, it can literally go out with, within hours or, you know, within a couple of days, once everything's been finalized, I mean, you don't have to hold on to it long because it's such a great deal. Yes. Because you're, you're really getting in at one of the best prices and then you're finding something that is perfectly aligned for their city. And this is what they've been waiting for their entire life. This is the deal that they've been wanting. And they're always going to keep coming back to you because they want that, that fresh inventory. You've really have positioned yourself as a like, just for those who are listening, like a bank. Yeah. Here's what's powerful though. So let's say I take um, that scenario that we talked about and I say, um, Mm -hmm. Johnny, like um, I have this investment property and um, your competitor that has a property next door, he paid 200,000 for it. Um, I'm willing to let you have this particular deal for 60K. Mm. So by doing that, you, you know, you may not get as much, but you're sweetening, sweetening the pot for him where it's really, you can't really say no. Right. He's going to, he's going to be coming back to me, you know, for decades because Mm. I don't need to make all of the profit on a deal. I don't, I don't need that. And I'm like, if, if you're going to be out there with buying a drywall and managing the contractors and having people break back into the property and steal the copper plumbing, piping and all of that, then look, I want you to have some cushion and, and money that you can make. So I don't need to make, you know, uh, 200% off of the deal. If, you know, mm. I can make just a little bit off of the deal, but I can keep volume flowing your way that's more beneficial to me because now I'm acting as a note uh, wholesaler instead of just, you know, fighting and, and squeezing you for every drop that I can. Okay. Let me, let me ask this for people who are listening to this episode, they probably, if they're smart, they went ahead and they downloaded your book or they've, they've ordered it and it's on the way. Are they going, if, if they, listen to this and read your book and then potentially reach out and want to work with you. Are they going to be able to do some of the similar things that you're doing, or are they going to be the, the person that is you know, receiving that sweet deal from you, but they're not quite doing what you're doing. Okay. So um, yeah, I, I would advise everybody if you're interested in this space, if this piques your interest, I would say definitely read the book. Okay. Um, to get deeper insight on it. Um, For a person to do what I'm able to do, first of all, uh, I've heard this quote before, um, what what man has done, men can do. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that it's uh, impossible for somebody else to do. Um, I put in a lot of time into perfecting the skill. Anybody can do it. 
anybody can do it, depending on what resources you have at your disposal can tend to dictate how fast you can scale. But anybody can do this, anybody can buy notes, and anybody can become a note wholesaler. Okay. So it's totally possible, but I'm not making any claims that you're going to have the same success that I have had. That part I understand. I, I don't, I would never anticipate that everybody would have the same uh, success. But I guess where, where my question was, are they going to be doing some of the same functions as you? I, I know there's going to be people who want to work with you. Of course, they need to read the book. They need to make sure. I know when I first heard your interview, you said, hey, you know, I may not necessarily work with everybody. And so read the book first and decide if it's really something that you're, you're interested in first before you contact me. And so I made sure I did that. I didn't want to just go and try to contact you and learn everything before doing my own research. So I, I began doing my own research. I, be, I read the book. I was pleasantly surprised to know, oh, shoot, I, I kind of know this world just a little bit, not as much as you, but I, I, I saw it flash before my eyes, per se. And so I'm wondering, because I know this is a space that I definitely want to be in, right? What will be some of the functions, if, if I'm able to work with you, what are some of the functions that I will be doing? Will it be similar to what you're doing or is it one level away from what you're doing? No, the functions, you're going to be doing exactly what I'm doing, okay? okay. You, you're going to be doing the exact work. Okay. And, um, you know, um, maybe not the same magnitude, but the exact same work. It's all the same. Um, and, you know, what, what I like to tell people is that, you know, the one thing that I realized, you know, coming into this space from being the guy that was meeting people in their living room is that, man, you have to treat people with decency and respect, you know, and you got to have that as a quality because people have fallen on hard times for whatever reason, whatever, wherever I find them, I'm always looking to improve upon a person's current situation. And I make sure that the people that work for me, because uh, I'm, I'm at the, I don't make calls directly to uh, homeowners any longer, but um and, and, and I would advise somebody, you know, not to either. I have solutions for all of these things, but um, I always advise people, man, treat people with decency and respect, you know, show them courtesy and, and have some empathy for where they may be at any given situation. But this is something that anybody can really learn if they put the time, energy, and effort into it. Now, in the book, it mentions, and I'm only bringing this up because it was a seat that I sat in. It says, make sure you hire uh, or contract a really good servicing company, right? I was on that side. I wasn't necessarily the servicing company. Right. I was an employee of a servicing company, which cool. in this situation happened to be a bank. Uh, so as the servicing company, I'll be completely honest with you, we treated these, these homeowners like they weren't nothing. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
And so I'm reading your book, right? And you're like, yeah, make sure that they're kind and respectful and, and you know, they're going to treat your people well. And I said, oh my goodness, I don't know what loan servicing company this is going to be because all the loan servicing companies I've ever saw, it was, it was a war in those rooms yeah. because you're just trying to make people make a payment uh, to get back, you know, right. I mean, these people are 16 payments you know, behind a hundred payments behind and you're just trying to get people back on or, you know, Hey, you, Hey ma'am, sir, you may lose your home. And if you do, Oh, well, you know, have a great day. And I'm just being honest. That, that was the world I was in. Sure. And so I, I'll be honest. It, it was actually eating me alive, you know, being there for eight hours and just being around for lack of a better word, filth. It yeah. was just anger and, people are, are calling up angry at you. The people that are around you that are on the phones are angry at those people. Everybody's angry at everybody. And then you're supposed to meet uh, quotas and numbers and there's all this stuff happening. And in the back of my mind, I said, there gotta be a better way. There gotta be a way to actually help people. Yeah. And what I heard from you through the book, of course, I've been able to uh, attend a meeting with you as well. We've had an opportunity to talk what I've heard is, man, when you get on this side, you have a lot more leverage to really help people. You, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, talking to that homeowner and saying, hey, you know, we can, you know, if, if you're ready, we can go ahead and release that deed. It won't, it won't be a, a, any more issue to you. Take the sweat off your back. You have enough, you know, leverage and control to be able to really help people right then and right there. Absolutely. And, and like, there are some um, times that um, one of, one of the things that um, my wife and I, we deal with. So, um, okay. So let me just give you the scope. Okay. So we manage, uh, we have an investment fund where we manage other people's investment capital. Okay. In doing so is I'm, um, I'm obligated to make sure that my investors get a return on their capital, right? A nice return on their capital. At the same time, I have a heart. And there are times that when it makes sense, and if it makes sense, um, we are particularly compassionate to elderly people. So if I see someone in a home and they're elderly and they've begun to miss payments, then we may just release the lien. We may just completely write the lien off and call the homeowner up and say, hey, we just want you to know that this isn't a mistake. Uh, we're actually uh, releasing your lien and we're stamping it as paid in full. Mm. Wow. And what makes you do that? What makes you have that kind of heart? Well, I remember when um, I was I was younger. Um, there was a man that uh, my mother was a renter, and there was a man that used to come collect the rent. At back in the day, they used to go knocking door to door to collect the rental payments. And when my mother couldn't pay, he always you know worked with my mom. You know, he was a kind man. You know, he he was a little stern, but he was kind. He would let my mother sometimes go three four months behind and then allow her and work out a payment scenario where she got caught up. So I always remembered that he did that. 
and I wasn't, I wasn't consciously processing it this way, but I think in my heart, I was saying, I want to be like that guy when I grow up. Mm. And um, it left an impact on me. So when we're looking at, you know, files um, and we see that we have someone that's elderly and um, the numbers make sense to us, we'll just re release the lien and stamp it as paid in full. That's awesome. That is definitely awesome. And for me, um, just hearing that story, and, and I know you and I have had an opportunity to talk uh, off air, that's the kind of work to me that's fulfilling, is being able to now be, although it sounds cool on the business side to say, you know, own nothing, control everything, and having the control so you can have all the money and all the other stuff, but you really want the control so you can make those final decisions and make those executive decisions. When you know it's the right thing to do, you actually have the power to do that. Yeah. And so I think that is the, the reason for wanting to position yourself, not just for the money, uh, but to really make sure that you're making the decisions for your company uh, that fit your heart and, and your character. Yeah, and, and again, we can, we can make these decisions uh, sometimes it takes me less than five minutes to make a decision. Uh, the, I don't have to really consult with an entire board of directors. Um, I just talk to my wife and I say, listen, you know, um, w I've been looking at some loans and, you know, I think that we should uh, release these loans. And my wife will come and she'll give it a quick glance over uh, to make sure I'm not losing my mind. And then, um, you know, we'll snap and okay, it's done. It took less than five minutes to decide. And then, um, you know, I'll send them off to my, one of my guys, the addresses and say, release these and tell the homeowners that we forgave the debt. And this is our way of um, giving back to um, the community, though, to those people that, and we don't need to, I don't need a banner. I don't need to create like a, um, a live video where I do it or anything like that. Right. I'm just, I could just say this, this is what I did. And, you know, the, um, the, the benefit or whatever is between me and God. And, and I don't need to talk about it. And in most cases you still own that note. And so what they're paying monthly is st it's still going towards, uh, you know, the investment that you made as far as the amount that they're paying monthly. Right. No, we we, oh. we erased it. Oh, they're they're just paid up forever. Yeah, we just erased it. Wow, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, we just we just essentially give them their property, and they owe us nothing else. That's awesome. That that's that is a that is a dope concept. I can't wait to do that one day. Um, I do want to um, talk a little bit. I, I don't like getting into this subject because I know everybody's talking about it. But I think it fits in, in, in this conversation. You've got the coronavirus. You have the uh, economy. Everybody's talking about what, what's going to happen, stimulus checks. How does that, and the conversation that's currently happening at the time of this recording, how does that impact your industry? So uh, I, don't want, uh, I don't want to sound brash, um, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Break it down, break it down. Uh, yeah, when, um, you know, it's, uh, it's like um, 
you know, if so as a firefighter, um, if you have totally like a safe community, no bad things happening, uh, nobody going to hospitals, no ambulance trips or anything like that, the federal government is looking at all of those reports that we run. And if there aren't any reports, they start closing firehouses. Yeah. So you could, you know, if they close a firehouse, they may um, have to lay off, you know, 30 to 50 people every time they close a house. So it's the same way with my industry. When the economy is, is going bad, when, you know, everything is crazy, uh, for my business, that is a huge benefit. That is the climate that we like to operate in because then banks are starting to look at liquidating their toxic assets at deeper and deeper discounts to create more money for those stimulus checks. The banks are in a position where they need to get money flowing. And so they're going to possibly sell off their non-performing um, notes. And in this situation, uh, their mortgage note, or I'm sorry, they're, well, you say I'm right by saying mortgage notes. So they're looking to sell off their non-performing mortgage notes that they have in inventory. And so it's a perfect opportunity uh, for you to say, well, perfect, you know, let's make sure we get a really good deal on it though. Yeah, because, you know, the, that, um, going back to that scenario earlier, mm -hmm. you know, that $50,000 uh, mortgage that we purchased from them, they might sell it to us for 30,000. They might sell it to us for 20,000. They might sell it to us for 10,000, you know, 5,000. It, it just depends. And if I'm getting it at 5,000 and I realize that we made 150,000 on this deal over here, and this deal that I got at 5,000 is uh, Mrs. Smith and she's 75, mm -hmm. right? On a, you know, uh, fixed income. Now it's easier to write off that deal. Yeah. You know, it, I just made 150,000 over here. So right. I can write off Ms. Smith's loan and, you know, create some goodness in the world. That's awesome. That's definitely awesome. So right now, uh, with coronaviruses, economy talk, this is a really great time to, if you're looking to get into this industry, this is a great time to be walking in and learning this valuable skill set, uh, and then possibly doing this for the rest of your life. If it's something that you, you know, decide to do. Yeah, I, I've done this every day since late 2005. Mm. So um, I haven't worked anywhere. I haven't, you know, I haven't done anything uh, employment wise since late 2005. And it's been really great. I can tell when I talk to you, your heart is full of joy because you're helping people you have an, an amazing space that you, you're in that is very uh, profitable. Um, and you own nothing. Well, I don't know your, your full, <laughs> I don't know your full portfolio, but just for the sake of the argument. Yes. 
own nothing and you control everything. Yeah. And so you really get to make the decisions in your business. A lot of people say that they're the boss and they're the whatever. But in this situation, you really make the all the decisions. Yeah, all the decisions. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it's so amazing that um, in my personal opinion, mm-hmm. and I've studied other different investment models, in my personal opinion, I can't see anything else that compares to this space by far because I'm, I'm using the tool that the banks use that has built this country. I'm using the same, I've learned how to use the same exact tool that they use. And I am, okay, so this, what I'm about to say is my, personal opinion um i am better than them okay because i don't have a huge board of directors that i have to appease i don't have um you know when when we're looking at deals i don't have to make uh, a decision on like if i'm going to make a change you know if i'm going to give uh miss smith a release of lien on her deal all right, with the bank, once they set that precedent, they now may have to keep that precedent across all of their deals. Right. I don't. I can just grant Miss Smith a release of lien, and I don't have to have a, uh, a board of directors or, you know, some track record because I'm a private company. So I can just, you know, um, release who I want to release and that be it. So I'm more flexible than what a bank could be because of their huge corporate structure. And because of that, we can get through deals fast. We can help people, you know, we can, you know, uh, get great returns. Before we let everybody know um, where they can go to learn more, where they can go and get the book. uh, A question is, is floating in my mind. I want to make sure I ask it because I understand that you can be virtual and basically do this uh, from home and, and, and uh, really from anywhere. Can you be in, I'm in North Carolina. Can I be in North Carolina and invest in California or is it better to stay within my own state? How does that part work? Yeah. So I've, um, I just recently moved to Georgia, but I spent um, my entire note career in Maryland. Okay. And I bought notes all over the country. Okay. Um, I had an opportunity one time to buy a resort in Puerto Rico. I didn't buy it, um, okay. but I had the opportunity to. Uh, but yeah, you can be anywhere um, and invest in notes and, um, and, and, and profit from it. The reason why I asked that is because, you know, on a, on a normal time where there's no coronavirus or anything like that, just regular time, there may be a city that is going through uh, its own mini recession within that particular city. So you may be able to look at that city and say, okay, it's time for us to, you know, invest in this particular area. And so you may look for those types of notes in those areas. Is that 
a strategy that would make sense in this space? Yeah, and that's exactly what we do a lot of okay. times. Um, I can look at an area or if I get wind of an area that um, might have, um, you know, a stadium going up, uh, you know, uh, talks of a stadium, talks of some some improvement. I start looking at the real estate surrounding that area, and then I start focusing in on buying those notes because if they're going to be offering those uh, people uh, money to move or relocate, they're going to have to pay off those notes on those properties as well. So uh, that's a strategy that we use. Uh, if there's a depressed market. Uh, we look to go in, purchase those notes, and see what we can do to kind of invigorate that market by, um, you know, showing that this community doesn't just have a bunch of non-performing mortgage notes, but there's been some kind of influx of capital into that community. What I like about this concept is it gives someone like me a lot of room to play. I can be as strategic as I want to be. I can, you know, move my mind from looking at Chicago and then going down to San Antonio. My mind can be everywhere and I'm just sitting in Charlotte, North Carolina the whole time. I love that idea of being everywhere, but being nowhere at the exact same time. And I can go on vacation and I can still be working, but I'm on vacation. That kind of concept, it resonates with me. On top of the fact that I have an, an instrument, I have an asset that gives me complete control of what I'm doing. I don't have to answer to anybody anymore. Right. I'm not waiting on anybody. Everybody's waiting on me. I'm creating the opportunity for the rest of the, the, the investment game to you know bounce off of what I'm doing, not the other way around. Yeah. And, you know, um, one of the things is, um, you know, I don't want to I don't want to say any name, but there's a real popular uh, guy um, who talks a lot um, mm-hmm. that's been in the he's been hitting the, the stages uh, more recently. OK, um, but he um, he and I had did a similar type of interview uh, back in 2016. And he I was think I saw of, that interview, but I'll keep, I'll keep it quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he was basically saying, you know, how, you know, his investment was better. And, you know, my thing was, I'm just saying that um, now he's been experiencing some troubles. I saw that as well, but I'll know? keep that. <laughs> uh, exactly. And I'm saying it's because, like I was trying to tell him back in 2016, when the economy is great, then you're going to have, uh, as, as your investment model, you acquire so many properties, you know, you're going to, it's going to be great for you. But at any moment that the economy begins to shift in the other direction, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because when you're holding these properties and you have gotten a loan from the bank to, um, make these investments. The one thing that a lot of people don't really understand is that now he has mortgages that he has to pay back to the bank on all of these profits. Now he may be able to arbitrage uh, the money in the middle and make significant income, 
but at the same time, you still now owe a mortgage to someone. And all I was saying was that a lot of times the mortgage that you may owe to someone might be me. Mm. Okay, hold on. Because we, 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 we got to go. I mean, we can talk for another three hours, but um, that's why we opened up this episode and we, we broke it down. For, so for those who are, who are uh, tuning into this part and they forgot, go back to the beginning of this conversation. The first thing I, I try to understand is no mortgage, no mortgage. I try, to, I try to understand it. And so now we're coming full circle. So for one, one last time, why is there a distinction between a mortgage and a note? And the reason why I'm asking this, you, you're mentioning the, these investors out here, they have all these mortgages but they don't necessarily have all these notes. Right. So one last time, what's the difference between what you're doing and what somebody who has all these mortgages, all these apartment buildings, all these different things that, you know, can cash flow really well when people are paying, but in a time like these, when there's no cash flow, magically the property doesn't have the same type of value. And then now you have to still pay those mortgages that you don't have, there's no cash flow to pay them. Right. Yeah, and I'm and I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned uh, uh, all of these apartment buildings because that let me know that you you do understand what I'm saying. I, I get it, my brother. I've been so, I've been watching this game for a long time, and so yeah. when when we bumped into each other, I said, "Wait a second, this is this is the real this is the real thing." Can I know the difference between what's real and what's uh, looks real? This is the real thing. This is the real game right here. Yes. Yeah, so you know, so a note is short for promissory note. Right. And it is the promise to pay back a debt anytime a uh, loan is made. And I'll go a little bit further to say that these notes amongst investors are kind of passed back and forth like playing cards. Right. Right. Uh, so the note is where the power is. The um, mortgage, and DJ, I'll use your word, the mortgage is sort of the directions on how the note should be handled and how it should be paid back and who and what the mortgage is attached to, meaning what person or what property the mortgage is attached to. And most people are paying a mortgage and that mortgage is essentially sending that money back to the note holder. I want to, I want to drill down one, one last time and I'm going to try to make this example as simple as possible for those who are listening. If I buy a property and I have a mortgage on this property and let's say I bought it for a hundred thousand and it's an apartment building and, but it cash flows really well. And so based off the cash flow, I'm making double of what I'm paying on the mortgage. Right. And so it's, it's cash flowing really well. It's wonderful. Um, you know, I'm partying, I'm doing my thing because, you know, I got it for a hundred thousand, but man, I make, you know, $200,000 a month or whatever the number is, whatever it is, I'm over the amount I pay. Right. And so my mortgage is, let's just say a hundred thousand, just, just so people can get it. 
the mortgage is a hundred thousand, but man, you know, I'm making extra 50 to a 75 to another hundred thousand and I'm doing my thing. You know, all my tenants are paying, I'm at 85% capacity. Everything is wonderful. And then boom, people stop making money. They can't pay, they can't pay towards that apartment building. They can't pay towards that commercial building. The, the, the money, the money flow stops. But if I had did it another way, if I had came around it from a different angle and I own a note, you're telling me that it is the promise to pay back the debt. So no matter what happens, everything comes back to the note. Right. Yeah. The buck stops there. And so as much as I have, a hundred properties, as much as I have millions of tenants and as much as people always need a place to stay, that's the argument. People always need a place to stay. So there always will be money flowing. But what, sh- what we are seeing right now as we're recording this is that's not always true. The money may not always be there, but one thing that will always be there is the promise to pay back the debt. When everything stops and when everything shifts and money starts flowing back in, when, every- when everybody's been washed away, the note still stands. Am I making any sense? You hit it. That's okay. it. How can people reach you if they want to work with you, if they want to get access to your book, if they want to learn more about this world? So, sure, you can, um, for the book, you can simply uh, go to Amazon and uh, get the book, um, Profiting from Non-Performing Mortgage Notes, being a banker with your interest secured by real estate. Again, my name is Ahmed Hazel Sr. If you wanna get um, in touch with me, um, I would say go to um, privatebankingsecrets.com. I hold uh, a webinar weekly that you can uh, jump on and learn more about the space, uh, privatebankingsecrets.com. and or if you're looking to um, invest, uh, if you have capital that you can invest and want to play from a passive standpoint, you can go to LegacyBuildersFund.com and uh, sign up. It's free to sign up. And um, we're, we're just in our final stages of approval from the SEC because uh, Big Brother makes sure that, you know, people are right when they uh, start these kind of investments. And uh, as soon as we launch, you'll be the first ones notified. We're going to keep our investor. Um, we're looking to keep it small. Mm-hmm. Um, so go register so you can be in the queue to be notified first. I have a feeling that I'm probably going to do both. Uh, um, I think I want to be on both sides. Uh, what type of capital should I come with how much how much should i have to know that i'm I'm in the right ballpark to invest with you on the the second half of what you were mentioning so um what we did is our first investment fund i just want to say this as a comparison okay. the first investment fund is for accredited investors okay and the minimum investment amount for that fund is fifty thousand. but we went through an arduous process um you know with the sec and we're looking to actually go public um, with this next investment fund, but we lowered the limit to five hundred dollars wow. as an investment. Yeah. Okay, so that is definitely it. Should be a very manageable amount 
so like I said, I have a feeling I'm going to be on both sides. Awesome. Because uh, I want to, you know, invest passively, but then I also want to, you know, learn as well and, and learn this skill set. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing both. Ahmed, thank you so much for coming on uh, Black Equity. Um, like you said earlier in this conversation, it may not hit everybody uh, the first time they listen to this. They may have to go read the book and then come back. And then uh, what, what was a, a movie you told me about? Do you care to share that movie? Sure. Um, one of the movies that will give you a really good perspective on um, this industry is called The Big Short. The Big Short. And um, if I could, um, to give something else, um, there's another movie. This is a home assignment for anyone that's listening. Okay. There's there's another documentary that I would suggest uh, people to look at. It's called The Queen of Versailles. The Queen of Versailles. And it's about David Siegel, who started the... Um, he started the um, timeshare program here in the United States, or he exemplified the timeshare here in the United States. And he says something in his documentary that I would like everyone to go and watch to see if you could find how what he said relates to this uh, podcast. You know I'm going to do it, and I'm going to text you as soon as I find (laughs) it. How did you spell that V word, the queen of? Versailles. It's spelled, uh, I think it's spelled like V-E-R-S-A-I-L-L-E. It's a French word. He Okay. um, Versailles Castle is a 90,000 square foot home that he was building for his wife. And, you know, the documentary documentary talks about how his struggles was around it, how his companies went bankrupt like overnight, how he was holding all his real estate, and then what he did uh, at the end of the movie to resolve his major issue. Oh boy, I got a homework assignment. So I'm going to go watch that um, and then let you know what I think. Uh, for, for those who are listening, uh, please take this conversation very seriously. I believe that this is the ultimate game changer. Very few people are going to be thinking this way, and that's okay. Uh, this is for uh, sophisticated investors, people who are thinking on a deeper level. They're playing chess and not checkers. And so, Ahmed, thank you so much for coming on Black Equity. You are welcome to come back anytime, uh, especially when uh, the launch happens. If you want to come back and, and, and just talk about what's going on. I, I definitely want to see where things are six months from now when, you know, the economy is, you know, I guess back to normal or maybe it's not yeah. uh, just to kind of see, you know, what you saw during this epic time of Corona and all this other stuff. There, there may not be another one of these for another hundred years. And so uh, I'll be really interested. I know we'll be talking, but I'm really interested to know, what happened during this time, just from a historical standpoint, when it comes to, uh, you know, the mortgage industry or the note industry, uh, better, better put. Awesome. 
I, I look forward to coming back. Uh, let's do a part two, three, four, five, and six. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. I thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. We are truly grateful for today's guest. If you are interested in becoming an approved Black Equity Strategic Partner with this company or one in the past, simply send us an interest inquiry to the following email, djm at djmotri.com. Once again, djm at djmotri.com. Let us know your name, your company, your services, and which guest you are interested in partnering with. As an approved partner, you will have exclusive access to our network and have first opportunity at future partnerships as well. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to join us on the next episode of the Black Equity Podcast.